Hi, I'm Corey. I'm Bill. And together we host the In Focus podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Gnome Recording Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. We'll tell you all about Gnome Studios at the end of the show. Today we're joined by Emmy Award winning director and owner of Skydive Films, Zach Adams. Zach, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, guys. Thanks so much. So, so fun today. I know you and Bill, you actually have a pretty long history. I would love, because everybody loves a good origin story. <laughs> How do you two know each other? A good superhero origin story. <laughs> it's been, a, yeah, it's been, I mean, I, 15, no, 16 years. Has it been 16 at I this think point? it was January of 05. Yeah. Really? I can't so believe it's been that long six, already. Yeah, over 16 years. What's so, happened? How did you guys first meet? Uh, we were at a church function, and I heard someone mention Watkins Film School in a conversation, and of course I stopped and very rudely interrupted and said, what, what, Watkins, who, who are you? I went there. Yeah. And we just, hey, I'm Bill. Hey, I'm Zach. Cool. And I was still, I was still in school. That was like yeah. my last semester. Yeah. So we, y- you were asking me about my, what I talked about in my episode, my final film. Yep. And we'd worked with the same actress. That's and right. that's how we we kind of started talking about that. You're right. And you were you were like a legend at Watkins. Oh so I'd heard your name before. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, it's Zach, Zach the Zach Adams that they always talk about in class?" Cuz you were like the guy who was working. That he was terribly disappointed <laughs> once once the meeting happened. But you were you were like the the guy who went to Watkins and was working actively in the industry, which you know, back then in the early O's, that wasn't like common. Mm-hmm. That, Not at all. Because there wasn't a lot of work. That's yeah. true. Nashville had just become, started to become an up and coming filmmaking community. I mean, again, this was 16 years ago. Yeah. Is that what it is now? Wow. All right. And all this time later, now look at you guys. I know. And here we are on a Sunday morning reminiscing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, your short Lavorsia. It was, yes. <laughs> Wait, Lavorsia was your final. Film school project? Yeah. Oh. We talked about that. Well, we, we talked about Lavorsia and how you were not incredibly proud of it. But I was. That was that was not one you said was a disaster? No. Oh. <laughs> it won awards at the Gatlinburg Screen Fest, right? Yeah. Oh. It did well. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking Corey, about my computer. You're thinking of my computer. My computer. My computer. Yeah. yeah, we we don't t- <laughs> <laughs> we don't discuss <laughs> we don't discuss my computer. That was right before so this is funny. We met uh, in 05, and then you would, like, occasionally drop in on me with, like, email, and you'd be like, are you still in town? Are you still here? And then, like, a year or two went by, and then you uh, hired me on the Eddie P. Briley shoots. As the assistant director, because he had been doing some directing and stuff. And that was summer of 07. Yeah. And we were shooting on HD, which, let me tell you, Corey, back in 07, nobody was shooting high definition. It was like, wow. That's true, yeah. It's just you guys and George Lucas, and that's it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Not really, yeah, but. I, I, I had almost forgotten that there was a transition period then between standard def and high def. Yeah. And I remember a lot of clients didn't know the difference between the two when it was moving over because of, because of periphery. Right. Like a lot of people still couldn't watch HD, yeah, because there were some tube TVs out there still. <laughs> I mean, you could say the same today with like you know we got cameras we're shooting 8K every day and that's true. <laughs> people like still you watch it online it's 1080P. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
but yeah, back then I remember it was like I'm on an HD music video shoot with like a crew of more than two people. This yeah. is amazing. <laughs> I'm, and you're I'm getting living the dream. Paid. Yeah, I'm it getting, was actual I'm real money. It was. I was so that was exciting. And it was hot. Uh, we did two back to back. I think it we was did. Like, like yeah. four days shoot, and we shot in my house in Nashville. <laughs> we right. shot in Gallatin at with the, BJ at the shit bar. Yeah. Oh, we could say that. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Yes. Oh, great. Yeah. 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 On the call sheet, it said interior shit bar because <laughs> BJ would call it. Yeah. Now we're going to shoot it shit bar tomorrow. Now. And I, I saved that call sheet. I still have it. I found it recently just because it's it's so good. Interior shit bar day. And it and it was. I mean, that was exactly. And it, it needed no description underneath that. It's like okay, you know. Yeah, you yeah, know what you're you know what you're into. walking into. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Zach, you've had like a really great range of projects over the years. I know you've been a part of uh, short form, long form narratives, uh, which I think we'll talk about your latest short here in just a little bit. Uh, Documentaries, music videos, commercials, like you run the whole gamut. Is there one of those genres in particular that you prefer over the others? I've always, you know, considered myself a narrative filmmaker, but everything else pays the bills. It's kind of one of those things where eventually I want to do my own, hopefully, horror yep. uh, feature film, which, Corey, I know you're a big uh, I love horror it. movie diehard fan. And But, yeah, we've done everything from commercials, like you said, music videos, industrials, um, things like that. And we just want to tell a story, whether it's 30 seconds or an hour and a half. So we just consider ourselves storytellers. And speaking of the, the horror stuff, so I know – when you got interested in filmmaking, we've talked about this. Like you were a kid, and you used to make like haunted houses, right? Like, yes. Talk when about was, that a little bit. Yeah, when I was in fifth grade, um, I just had this infatuation with making haunted houses, and uh, I would I would be doing kind of pre production. Basically, I would come up with the idea. <clears throat> I'd get my friends to jump out. Alden, one of my yeah. best buddies, he was always the tall guy, so he was like Freddy Krueger. I would I would I would find people older than me that were taller that would be more intimidating than a nine year old jumping out and scaring somebody, <laughs> and so I would write down the ideas in June or July and then start getting the props and then of course we had it like the week uh, before Halloween and then I would market it I'd put posters and drop off flyers, um, and so in essence I was a filmmaker but didn't know it. So I was doing the pre-production, the production, and then the whole marketing aspect, except there were no cameras. Right. It was just me being creative and making these haunted houses with my friends. And it, it's interesting that that's in the like the horror genre yeah. as well. I feel like horror is such a gateway drug for filmmakers. I feel like like it, so many start there because of the freedom that that allows you. Like you can be as crazy and out there and creative as you mm-hmm. want. And in the context of like a, a B-rated horror film, really like anything goes. And I think you, like you really can learn and really grow into your creative process that way as well. Oh, absolutely. 100% agree. Like my, the only two shorts I've done, one's a psychological horror and then the yeah. other's like starting to now cross the line into a little more monster and like knives and stuff. So was, uh, was Sweet Tooth... Was that your first uh, 
horror film with like a budget, like a budget. Yeah, on it? yeah, I think yeah. so. That was gosh, that was 2016. So myself, Mike Stryker, who you know, and Mark Allen Peters kind of came up with this this concept, and we talked about it and talked about it, and we just finally did it. And um, we just wanted to, you know, do something narrative again to show people that we don't just do documentaries or commercials or corporate or uh, music videos that we can also do narrative projects as well and so it just took off from there and we had a blast doing it and you had a, a pitch meeting in la we to, did to talk about the future with, right yes with steven knapp that was about a year or so later they saw the short and we just you know pitched them different ideas and actually yeah one of your scripts yeah that's got, right. <laughs> got synced as well yeah we talked about that for steven so that that was awesome so uh that that short and I feel like this is probably common for many shorts is the intent was more proof of concept. Yes. Like exactly. a calling card for a larger budgeted, like full feature potentially. Right. It is. And the, and the film was about 17 minutes long. So it's kind of tough to market something like that on YouTube. It's, it's on there right. and it's, it's, it's one actually a few festivals, things like that. Um, we shot it on the, on the same camera that they shot a conjuring two on. Well, the sister version right. of it. Mini area Alexa, so so it looked good and cinematic, and so we we just you know Mike and I saved up for several months, and we said we're going to do this right or not do it, a DSLR, cell phone, something like that, and um, yeah, we just did it. And it, I remember like it it looks great, mm-hmm. it, and it like it's a super good story. That was and Josh was the DP. I got to give him credit, Josh Reeve. Yeah, oh, yeah, really? I I worked on that yeah. film for one day. That's right. <laughs> like you have a funny ins- story on about the that. Yeah, that's right. Bill did uh, work on it. And th- that was my first exposure to the Aerie Alexa. And yeah. that camera is terrifying to me, only because <laughs> of how expensive it is. Yes. Um, the the lens, we, well, we had like Zeiss prime lenses. Oh, yeah. And I think the lens that was on there alone was as much as my car. Yes. And <laughs> yeah, like that build is probably a nice starter home. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We actually paid a guy 100 bucks a day, a PA, just to sit there for 10 hours and watch the lenses. That's all he had to do. Play it on his phone all day. But Was, just, it, was that on the day I was there, too? No. Because uh-uh. I believe I was watching him. Yes, you were. <laughs> that, yeah. Because that. I remember the fear. Uh, but but I remember uh, I had to swap lenses at one point. It was like docking the space shuttle. It yes. It was like, I got to be very careful. If I If there's one little ding... The whole thing is going to fall apart, but of course, that's being over dramatic. But uh, yeah, I <laughs> there, there was it's a good point. you were so concerned. I was concerned too because we don't own that camera, and if something happens to it, we have to pay for it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Bill, what were you doing on set today? I was uh, I was doing some first AC stuff. Okay. Um, just just for the one day, I think that was the last day. Just getting pickups. And yeah, pickups of. Uh, Let's see, a few close-up shots and exterior shots of the house at daytime, I think. Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. On our, our fun-rigged uh, homemade dolly, dollar dolly track. We had to turn in the other dolly, so we had to <laughs> So you had to improvise. Yes. Yeah, and especially when the ground is not level. There's yes. a lot of sandbagging and uh, apple boxes involved to make a... Make Whatever a it takes. And we're all you know independent filmmakers, so it's great to do that. You have to do that Yeah, and to that, make it work. You know, and that's the thing about um, being an independent filmmaker and 80% of what you're doing on set is problem solving a lot of times. And you improvise a lot and you try to use what limited resources you have to make something work. Um, 
it's all about creating the illusion ultimately. Mm -hmm. So for using like way back in the day when we used to use those Home Depot like floodlights <laughs> yeah, to light a scene. And it's like, no, that the, definitely in the behind the scenes pictures that looks Awful. not very yeah. sexy. And <laughs> but but on camera it works because right. you do what you gotta do with a small budget, not a lot of resources, you improvise, <clears throat> you try to be as flexible as you can. It, it makes you so so then when you do get a budget, like a bigger budget, right. you can use that budget more efficiently because we've learned how to make do with little and yes you know, absolutely you get 20 grand for a film and it's it's like a million dollars for uh -huh. us oh my gosh <laughs> we can do everything with that last budget was a thousand it's great <laughs> totally yeah. different game changer oh yeah yeah so tell us about uh skydive films uh i know bj brown the, the late, great BJ mm -hmm. yep. was, was the founder of that company. How did you meet him, and then how did you get involved with Skydive? I met him, I'm trying to think, I think around 2002, 2003. Gosh, we met somewhere on set. I don't even recall. I should. You know, normally I'm so great with numbers and dates and this and that, but it was almost 20 years ago, and we met and just connected, had a lot in common, and he was a doer. If you remember yeah. BJ, if he said he was going to do something, he was there. If he said he'll be on set at 10 a.m., he was there at 9 a.m. Like, like he was the real deal. And so I like that because there's so many flakes in this industry. And so we just teamed up and started working on projects together. And it was like Southern Haunts initially, yes. wasn't it? <clears throat> right. We did a series for regional PBS, I think six or seven um, episodes. And it was kind of like the history slash folklore of hauntings in the south and so we went to savannah georgia and charleston even did one in nashville and kentucky yeah. new orleans was a blast yeah so we, and that's the, the, through that show is how billy bob thornton got on the radar wasn't it like he had watched he, it or yeah like on his tour bus years and years ago like in yeah. 2007 or 2008 something like that mm -hmm. and you you and bj didn't you and B, you and bj met him when you went to do something with Lynn Hoffman? Is that what it was? Or yes, what, in what was uh, Miramac Hall. That's okay. That's which right. is in Huntsville, Alabama. They were doing a yeah. show there, and then I and then Lynn was uh, had her own show called Private Sessions on A and E, and Lynn asked me to film it, and that's how we all kind of met JD, Teddy, yeah, everybody. That's right. Mm -hmm. The box masters. But that, yeah, uh, they were brand new back in '07. They had just started their band. Nice. So they were on tour. And I, now you've done more work with the Boxmasters since then, right? Yeah, we've done a few music videos. Actually, Bill's been on set for several of them mm -hmm. over, over the years, and hopefully we'll do more soon now that the pandemic is slowly kind of... Easing its way out. Easing its way out. <laughs> making an exit very slowly. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're just, you know, very creative, great bunch of people. And so, but we just love making music videos as well. And they, and like the thing about them is that they love working with you and the team and, you know, they, they prefer that over some of the Hollywood. I know Billy has, has a lot of strong opinions about the Hollywood system. Very, very strong. <laughs> yeah. So he, he loves to work with, you know, some guys from Nashville that are, that have a passion for it and are independent and, you know, that that's, I think that's a breath of fresh air for him. 
Yeah. All those. Well, that's where he started off too, growing up dirt poor in, in rural Arkansas. No one gave him anything, yeah. and he had to work his way up as well. So he remembers that. Yeah. So I think that's another reason they like working with us. And he he's such an interesting guy. Just like just generally, like I've never met him. I've, I've never been on set. Uh, if you ever like need some extra hands, let me know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, like just his. The, his persona of like what you know of him just in general just seems like just such an interesting dude yeah very uh, very intelligent too yeah he can he can talk about pretty much any subject whether it's yeah. filmmaking writing politics sports you name it he knows it and just like a nice down-to-earth guy too you know like yeah super humble just an old country boy from Arkansas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Playing Angry Birds on his phone in between. Oh, that's takes. right. <laughs> Walking around Adams, Tennessee. Remember yes. that on the shoot. Yeah. Population five hundred people. Just he's just, just walking around. It. Yeah, yeah. By himself. <laughs> Which I love that town too. Bill's been there several times. We did a project together called the Bell Witch Legend, which is a folklore. It's the oldest ghost story in North America, and that was a fun shoot, and, and that was pretty much Bill and I did the whole thing. We yeah. had no crew. Standard death. This <clears throat> yes. was this was Ooh. back uh, mini pre, DV pre HD <laughs> mini DV. Yes. Was it the XL two? Yes, it was. And what was your nickname for the? I called that camera baby. 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 I I don't even remember why now. It it's was, so it it's was been your baby. so long. Probably yeah, you it's probably because it, like it was my baby because I couldn't afford anything else back then. Yeah. So. I was happy to have something like yeah. that. Well, those now you can probably get on eBay for 300 bucks, but or less. Yeah, but I mean, in 2005, 2006, weren't they like 5 grand? Uh, yeah. I mean, they were they were your typical what you'd see now for a yeah. prosumer camera. Yeah. Right. Back then, which I, is crazy. I, and I feel like I'll probably get fact check on this, but I I feel like and we talked about this in the last episode. I'm pretty sure 28 days later was shot on the XL2, right? Yes. Yeah. But yeah. they use like the $200,000 Hollywood lenses. Right. That's what they don't tell you in the press release. Well, I remember <laughs> when I got that camera, I was like, I'm going to get I'm going to get the XL2 because it's got interchangeable lenses. Uh-huh. This is so awesome. And then I never swapped never the that. factory lens out. And it was 24P. Oh my gosh, it looks just like film. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're like, oh, oh no. Well, we like you and I Speaking of 24P, what, like two years, three years ago, we met like the dude who was one of the pioneers of 24P. You're right. We did. Who was that? What was his name? Oh, I don't remember. That was three years ago out, out in LA. But remember, he, he was from Clarksville, Tennessee. That yeah, was like small that's right. world, but he had been out in LA for 20, 25 years. Didn't he win a contest and direct a Michael Jackson video or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he back did in the something 80s? like that. I wish I wish I could remember his name, but Rob, I know he was it Robert Faber. No, no, I don't think so. I cannot remember his name. We met him once. Supposed to be a thirty-minute meeting, lasted like four hours. Yeah, but, well, he had a he had like a studio in yeah, East LA. That's right. And they were filming like green screen. It was fun. That's right. That was about and. I think he had won an Oscar for something like in the eighties because his Oscar was like in a junky cabinet with a bunch <laughs> of like papers around it. And I remember seeing it in, in this cabinet wow. being like, okay, yeah, so that's an interesting uh, thing to pass by when you're walking yeah. through here. Never said anything about it. 
I remember driving up to the studio. We're like, uh, where are we? This looks like the set of training day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I had to make sure I wasn't wearing gang colors. <laughs> I had to like, put a jacket over my, uh, my flannel I was wearing. A different day. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. I forgot about that. That that was that was a fun time. And we ate at the fish tacos place. That yeah. was right with, with uh, uh, Ross. With Ross, the guy who's the Wolverine impersonator uh-huh. on uh, Hollywood Boulevard. He's been doing that for years. It looks yes. just like him. Looks it makes just like Hugh Jackman. Damn good money doing yeah. it too. He told us what he was making. I was like, "What? Good for you." And he's just like, "Hey, you want to get some fish tacos?" <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yes, please. In East L.A. And they were like a buck each. They were phenomenal. From a place called Fish Tacos. <laughs> that was the name of the the hut that yep. we got these. Best marketing. Yes. I mean, they just know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about a recent production uh, that maybe really pushed you to your limits creatively. I would say working on it. We, we have a new feature wrestling documentary that I was the a co-producer and and. and and work with the director, Sergio Valenzuela, in spending a year working with him editing, trying to find the right story out of 75 hours of footage was tough. What? <laughs> yes. And we got distribution. Adam Carolla's company picked it up, so it comes out later this spring or summer. And just, yeah, working with him on that, going through, I mean, hours and hours and hours of footage that him and his crew had shot, and I was hired to come there write the voiceover, and then help figure out the story. Yeah, that's interesting because I know you've been a part of several documentaries, but I think there's probably a couple of different approaches that documentary filmmakers take. Either you know the story that you want and you shoot to that, or you know that there's a story, but it doesn't necessarily come through until, to your point, you get to the edit and you start to piece the story together. Yeah, we know the basics of the story. I think it was just going to the footage, making sure nothing's too repetitive to the audience, because sometimes you can do that in documentaries. And this film was about 84 minutes long. And the first edit was three hours, then two hours, and I was like, this is not a two-hour story. It just can't be, definitely not three hours. So just going through this footage with Sergio and our um, Chance, our other executive producer, was very challenging. It was fun, Man. but it was it was it was a challenge. And y- you weren't uh, you weren't there on set or anything, so no. you you had no idea until mm-hmm. you looked at the footage, which right. you even had. There were two different crews. The first crew um, got fired, and then they hired Sergio's team. And then Sergio called me up and was like, "Help, <laughs> we gotta <laughs> let's see if we can work this out, and we need someone to kind of help flesh the scenes and write some voiceover, and I've been doing that 15 years and kind of know how to do that somewhat at this point and just kind of where that stuff goes and the timing and the editing. But sometimes, you know, Sergio was the director, and he had seen this footage hundreds of times, and so it's the point where let me bring in someone else that hasn't seen anything. Right. And we even brought in one of my apprentices, Cynthia, for four or five months after Sergio and I, had worked on it for many months. Same type thing. Okay, you know, what's your opinion? Honestly, does this scene work? Is it too long? And then she would give the us fresh advice. eyes. Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. That really helped. And that and this shoot has, was in post production for how long? About a year. Yeah. So like, hear me now. Type. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, but but it was I mean it was seriously almost a hundred hours of footage Ugh. for what the first crew did, the second crew figuring out which interviews to use, what sound bites, because sometimes the camera would just roll and it wouldn't cut, and they would go just ramble, 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 mm. and you had to just go through and just dissect it, which can be very tedious, but at the same time it's it's rewarding because we're happy with how it turned out. Right. And later. see when you're when you're uh when you're not on set it makes it a little more challenging when you do get to post production cuz cuz again you don't know what you're dealing with till you review every last second of footage. At least at least when you're on set you have the luxury of knowing before yeah. you get into editing what you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, so I can imagine that's just like yeah, I know that's Luke Dye, who we know. Like that's his day job is just getting footage he's never seen, and right? Putting something together, absolutely. And that just that that's a whole nother type of post production challenge. And and honestly, most working editors deal with stuff like that. That's just normal for them. It's it's us who we also work on set, but then we also edit, right? We get a different perspective because we actually, I, I'll be on set thinking about the edit. Yeah, um, exactly. Because I, I, I'm doing both. But a lot of working editors don't have that luxury. It's just like, here's footage. Here's, here's some guidance. Good luck. Make a story. It was the first time I was a producer, but I had not been on set. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was interesting. But like I said, it was, it was time consuming. Um, but definitely well worth it in the end. Yeah. Now for younger filmmakers that want to get into like similar documentary storytelling, is that, is it common to have that much footage compared to like, ultimately you're talking hours and hours for an 84 minute story. It's not, it's not. I I know the first crew just kind of kept the cameras rolling and you don't really want to do that, otherwise you really piss off your editor because they'll go on tangents <laughs> yes. for 30, 40, 50 minutes talking about oh, this and that, and the, then my dog, and then this. <laughs> and you have to go through That's the second time this has happened. We did another project a few years ago. Oh, like is that, that. The, uh, the lawyer one? Yeah, which did yeah. really well. It, it, it's aired on national PBS. Bill Gates and his wife saw it, had a screening. Um, really? Yeah, couldn't believe it. That's, it's, uh, it, it's what it was uh, had Ruth Ruth Bader Ginsburg balancing the scales. Yeah, right? was in yeah. it, mm-hmm. and that was another one where you and Sergio worked on it. Were, I was were kind of the footage was turned over to you. Yes, yeah. and we helped find the story for the director, uh, and she had been making this film for since nineteen ninety four, shooting interviews, and so some of the older people had passed away, but we had them. And Jeez. talk about footage. Some of the stuff looked like VHS. So we it would probably put, was. Yeah. <laughs> we put in the corner like 1994 footage or something like that. Right. And then because some of it was shot in 4K or 1080. So it would kind of go back and forth. But it did. It did well. Yeah. I mean, it it, it aired um, right after Ken Burns made a documentary called Vietnam a few years ago. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And Sergio and I are thinking, okay, it's cool. It's fun. But this will never be seen. No one's going to see this. It's a paycheck. Maybe 300 people will see this. Okay, fine, whatever. We're getting paid. It's 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 good. It's it, it's it's an idea that we like. Um and then I remember finishing Vietnam the, the documentary downstairs. It it's 
10 p.m. at night, prime time, and the first thing it says is Skydive Films presents Balancing <laughs> the Scales right after Ken Burns' movie, knowing Holy millions shit. upon millions of people are watching this, and yeah. Sergi and I were editing this whole thing in his little apartment in Antioch. <laughs> So we had no idea. Yeah. So sometimes that happens. And then other projects, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. It doesn't see the light of day. You right. just don't know. You don't. That's true. That's been my track record. If I think it's going to be a hit, it's not. It, it, it's the opposite. <laughs> so Hollywood needs to hire me. Zach, is this good? It sucks. It's going to be number one at the box office then. Yeah. I love it. It's going to tank, you know. Well, that's that's why w- when you all ended up pitching A Dark and Bliss, which is my my film, when you went out for Sweet Tooth, um and they were like that's an interesting idea but that they didn't they didn't go for the script i was like yes that's a rite of passage the stranger things guys got like 20 rejections all over hollywood look at them you know like that's that's making it when you get rejected yeah you're, you're gonna it's your rite of passage <laughs> yeah you're gonna end up uh doing something big it's yeah. like extra motivation yeah just keep you going. Yeah. There have been so many scripts that have been rejected that became big hits and oh, yeah. concepts. So. Well, it's, uh, yeah, that's, it, it. you can never take that to heart when you get those rejections because it even goes for film festivals. Mm-hmm. Film festivals, it's a lot of politics. We Absolutely. We know it's like who you know, it's whatever the the theme of the festival is that you got to match up with and, and that sort of thing. And so it, uh, you get rejected a lot. Yep. I, I have been rejected many, many, many times from film festivals and I just kind of ride them off at this point. Cause the, the big thing with hear me now was that it got rejected by almost every festival it was submitted to, but got four distribution offers at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, don't take what happens with festivals or, you know, whatever it might be, pitches to yeah. don't take that to heart and don't think of yourself as a failure and your idea as a failure because it so may many, not be. Yeah. And, and so many film festivals are just overrated, too. It doesn't even matter <laughs> if you get rejected. Too. Just yeah. go right to the distribution company. If that's your main goal, mm-hmm. like right. you said, Bill, just skip it. Yeah. Save some Skip money. The line. You don't have to yeah. wait six months to hear back from some of these festivals. You just go right to the company. If they want it, then, you know, the whole point of going to a festival is exposure and distribution. Mm-hmm. So if you can just skip that process, then yeah. so- sometimes that's the better alternative. Not always, but. And, you know, we've we've learned that the festivals that you, where it really matters, where it's like the auction block are like Sundance and. Toronto. Toronto, uh, South by Southwest, festivals like that. Not some of your more local backwoods festivals. <laughs> and and that and there, if you're showing at one of those festivals, you're just showing it for other filmmakers that also have their films. There. Right. So what are you really accomplishing? Are you moving the ball? Well you get you get those laurels. Like you get you get to say like <laughs> yeah, it looks so little, cool on yeah, Facebook for the five little minutes, laurels yeah. on your poster, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. And yeah. yeah. And get like 30 of them from these tiny film festivals that no one's heard of. I mean, heck, Core, you could start your film festival tomorrow. Yeah. We should. There you go. Yeah. Like the official Corey selection, Allen the Backwater film Springs <laughs> Film Festival. Yeah. You know, like all these, there's so many out there. It's oh. ridiculous. Can do it for the laurel. Yes. Do it for the That's laurel. That's what it's for. Now, Zach, you, you mentioned uh, an apprentice. Tell me, so I know you still, you're engaged in uh, a version of film school uh, with 
the education process. Yep. Tell me a little more about that. Yeah, it's called Film Connection. They're based out of Los Angeles. Been working with them for about eight years now. And I'm, I'm the main apprentice in Nashville. And so I get different students apply here and there. And if, if, if we get along, then they hang out with me for eight, ten months, put them on set, and it's right to set. It's not like they have to learn all the you know, their algebra, stuff. this and that, and spend 150 <laughs> yeah, grand yeah. a year right. to get a script writing degree. It's way, way, way cheaper to do it this way. And you make contacts. Uh, film school was great for making contacts, but now it's between a hundred and what one hundred and fifty thousand a year for some of these art degrees, like Belmont and things like that. And yeah. so they go right into the program, and they also meet people like Bill or Stephen or Stryker. And so I introduce them to tons of other filmmakers. I say, if I'm the only filmmaker you know in ten months, you're screwed. You got to know everybody, right? And, and you have to show up on set and work your tail off. And then maybe you'll get hired once you graduate. And some of them have, have gotten very successful. Some of them have moved to Los Angeles, New York, Atlanta. Some are here working full-time. Remember Corey Pitts? Corey, yeah. He's a uh, steady cam operator now. Is that what he's doing now? He, he texted wow. me uh, last year, and he was like, hey, if you ever need steady cam work, well, he hit was me up. doing art direction. He did all the art direction for Sweet Tooth. He did yeah. a phenomenal job. And there was a time he was working five, six days a week. He had to turn down work. And he was an apprentice. When he was with me, he was making nine bucks an hour working in the liquor store. But, but you do what you got to have to yeah. do. You know, young guy, I got to pay the bills. But uh, he kept with it, worked his tail off, and is doing very, very well now for himself. And, and that's a good point to make is that, and I've seen this because I've worked with a lot of your apprentices. And, you know, I've seen some strong ones and some, some not so strong <laughs> ones over time. That's your right. And you see, you see the ones that – the apprentices that have gone on to do this work mm-hmm. to do more are the ones that were showing up that were hustling that were showing up they were showed up early like we did uh all all three of us did the lucky scruff commercials yep. uh, a few years ago and um you, you had so, Corey pitts was on that one mm-hmm. um and showed up early the these guys don't complain they they do their work. They work hard. They get it done, um, and that's the mentality. That's the yeah. the, the spirit to kind of go on. And these guys that have gone on to be steady cam operators and Ryan, Ryan Davis, Ryan Davis, yeah, yeah phenomenal. Like, like he's he's doing all kinds of stuff now. Because Ryan he's was a an hustler. apprentice for you. Ryan Davis, yeah, yeah, really, he's great. He was in the new Trace Atkins film, like a stand-in. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I I would hire him to do some kind of second unit. Camera work. Here yeah, because he, he came out and he helped out on Danny. That's right, yeah. And then that's where I met him for the first time. Him and Chris Dyer were on Danny, yeah. so we got everything done. Yeah. Very efficiently. Well, Chris is like <laughs> 26 crew people in, in one. He's so yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Chris Dyer? Yeah. I have oh. to give him a big shout out. Superman. Oh, yeah. He really is. I met him almost 20 years ago. Before I met you, I was working at Best Buy, Cool Springs. He was working there. And we were just both big film buffs. I was making some short films, and he would just come on set, knew absolutely nothing, nothing. Worked his way from PA. Now he's constantly busy yeah. working on productions. Yeah. And the, and that's, again, a testament to being uh, just hustling on set, being there on time. No drama early, either. No drama. No Chris. Just like, yeah, I know, just getting after it. We've yeah. never even remotely had an argument. How could you with Chris Dyer? You know. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's the, the nicest, nicest guy dude ever, but, ever. But he's also the most prepared person I've ever met on yeah. set. Oh yeah. Um, 
He's just always ready. And to the point where he jokes about how prepared he is now. Because the last time I worked with him on set, I made some comment about like, of course you have the stinger or this lens that I need. Just and, in your hand. And he just kind of... Mm-hmm. He just kind of shrugged his shoulders and was like, well, yeah, of course. You're working with me, of course. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I've been pumping up him up so much to him and other places like that that it's kind of going to his head. I'm joking. No, Not no, at no, all. no. I'm he's, joking. He's a great no, dude. He's great. He is wonderful. <laughs> I know. And we had, uh, you know, I, I brought you on to help produce The Devil You Know. Yeah. And I think we had uh, three apprentices there, mm-hmm. Carter, Cynthia. And Zach. And other, Zach. Yeah, other Zach. Yeah, other Zach. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, and, the, and they're all writers too. Zach is. We all wrote the short film. Oh yeah, let's talk about that. Oh okay. Your, your latest project. What's it titled? It's called A Good Mother. It's a four minute horror short, and we hope to release it next week or two, and take it to some of the festivals, see what happens. But with the film, that's that's four minutes. It's really for the internet, so we want to get it out there and just see what happens. Yep. Because we have, we have tons of ideas for other shorts and feature bill even we talked about doing something this summer or mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be horror but yeah yeah putting something together creatively and all working together but i had the idea in my head for about 15 years and never did anything with it and then pitched it to mike striker who kind of had some ideas pitched it to um my apprentices and i said if you guys like the idea let's make it and they said heck yeah well let's finish writing because it was just an outline you know, that I had, and so right. we had to flesh out the script and everything, and then able to get a 9,000-square-foot mansion in Hendersonville to shoot in, which was Zach's uh, aunt and uncle's house. They were nice yeah. enough to let us shoot, and Corey, you were great on that. Yeah, I was on Phenomenal. set. That was great. It was, it was a great time. So uh, we released the trailer on social media, and we're doing some color correction this week. Sound design is done, and then it is out, because I've seen it too many times and I'm just getting too <laughs> damn picky. And it's, wanna, it's great. I never want to watch it again after this. Well, that that's, yeah, that, that always happens where it's like, it's best to step away. You got to know it is. to step away from it. So yeah, that's our newest uh, narrative project. And like I said, we had the price of legacy, the feature documentary coming out spring or summer. And that's the wrestling. Yes. Trace Atkins was our narrator for that. Oh, cool. We also had other people that, Almost did it, but Trace was just phenomenal. We were like, we got to get with him, his yeah, voice. Yeah, it was it was a fun piece. So uh, you've done a lot of documentary work, and we've talked. And you don't you don't like when people refer to you as a documentarian, and and I don't either. And I got that from like doing just doing Hear Me Now. People were saying that about me, and I was like, no, I I make shit up. I'm a narrative filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, would you say that is your preference as narrative over documentary? It is. I just call myself a filmmaker or a storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Simple as that because we do just tell stories. Whether it's a 15-second local spot or it's an hour-and-a-half feature film or a short film, we just want to tell the best stories as possible because story is where it's at. Have the biggest budget in the world, the best sound, the best acting, your script sucks, the film's going to suck. Yeah, yeah. So you have to start there and then proceed once you have your story words to live by but we like it you know to look pretty too don't don't get me wrong <laughs> well yeah <laughs> the, 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 i would say if that's just as important as the story yeah 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 all right are you ready for the lightning round let's do it all right we need music i'm gonna have to get i'm gonna have to get like some lightning round intro music lightning round 
<laughs> like you intro. should get John Bailey to do that. Yes, yes, we should. He would do it. Do we want to talk about John Bailey for a second? Yeah, who is John Bailey? Is a, a voice actor or voice artist um, who Zach and I? I think did you you just like randomly? How did you find him? I he randomly found him on YouTube, and I was looking for someone that sounded like Peter Cullen, the narrator. He's the optimum. Optimus, Optimus Prime, Prime yeah. voice, and he did the best Peter Cullen impersonation I've ever seen. Oh, is this the guy that does the uh, movie trailer? Honest yes, movie yes trailer? he's the honest trailer okay. guy. Uh, and his his YouTube title is like his epic voice guy. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, you, he was in Memphis, right? And uh huh. And he would like leave you voicemails talking in all these voices. Yes. But we got him to narrate the harps. Yeah. Which was like a short documentary. And and I used to have a podcast, another one, many moons ago in the in my twenties, and he did his his Peter Cullen type voice for the intro for that podcast. <laughs> and just like really nice guy, just really super into what he does. And he's like out in LA now doing um he he voiced one of the Decepticons in the yeah, Bumblebee the movie. Yeah. Um and so he's He's getting into all kinds of stuff now, so it's it's pretty cool to see how he's he's grown from working on little projects with us years ago to like he's out at the Paramount Paramount lot. And if you talk like, to him on the phone, he's like the most normal guy with a slight country accent. Yeah, and then he can just boom like that right into it. Yeah, go right into it and just change it. And whoa, you're Optimus Prime now. <laughs> we should totally get him to produce us a uh, lightning round intro. Oh, that would be so yes, awesome. That man. would be cool. Until then, you're going to have to, th- this will have to serve. Lightning round. <laughs> I don't know. How I'll, I'll put something over it. All right, here we go. Zach, what is your all time favorite movie? Ooh, I, I, oh, it has to be fa- uh, Halloween. Like the original? Yeah, okay. 1978. All right. The last movie that you watched? Uh, the Godfather. One? I'm, yes, but I'm halfway through part two. I was watching that last night until okay. 1 a.m. All right. They're classic. They are. Uh, your favorite director? Tim Burton. Okay. Ooh. All right. Most underrated or slept on cinematographer? Dean Cudney? I said him in my lightning Did round. Did you? Yeah, yeah. He's you awesome. Guys. Yeah. You guys. Coffee, Park. coffee or tea? Coffee. All day long, my man. All right. This one's a little controversial. Pineapple on pizza? That is controversial. I'm going ha- to have to say no. My man. <laughs> now, Mike Stryker, he loves that. Mike Stryker will order milk at the bar. So that's <laughs> that is disgusting. <laughs> uh, favorite camera? Anything that's a red. Oh, that's right. You have one or two. Yeah, yeah. Two, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, three films everyone should see before they die. Goodfellas. Um, there's a documentary called uh, An American Movie that everyone needs to check oh, out. I've seen the trailer for that. It's awesome. It gets me motivated. It, it, it came out in the mid-'90s about this, this low-budget filmmaker trying to make a short film and then make his feature. Just yeah. awesome. It's, I've probably seen it 30, 40 times. Um, then I would have to say... Psycho, the original Hitchcock. I'm blown away by how many people have not seen it. Really? They think that they have, but they what was that? And well, it's one of those movies that's so iconic. Yeah, yeah. People do think that they've seen it because they've seen all the clips. They of just it know of it. 
Although 95% of the people I hang out with couldn't tell you one movie Spielberg directed, so maybe that's the problem. <gasps> I know. It's it's unbelievable. That makes me want to curl up You in guys a ball. are the 5% of my friends that are filmmakers because most of them are not. Yeah. <laughs> I just need to get more friends that make movies. Yeah, That's okay. Zach, uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, it, guys. It has been a pleasure catching up. Yeah, mm-hmm. and chatting. Uh, we'll leave links to all of your things in uh, the show notes for today. Uh, for our listeners, we know you have a lot of podcast options, and we appreciate you choosing us. Uh, check us out on Instagram at InFocusPod or online at InFocusPodcast.com. To learn more about today's sponsor, Gnome Studios, you can find them online at GnomeStudios.co or on Instagram at Gnome Studios. Gnome Studios is located in a century-old warehouse just outside of downtown Nashville and is an amazing full-service recording studio. Check them out for your next project. And if you like what you heard today, go ahead and subscribe. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us out a ton. Until next time, we'll see you later.